Dee. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grief After Dark. Season We're here again. again. <laughs> here we are once again. <laughs> For more season two, even more dark matter. I can't be more proud of, of like the lineup that we've been able to commune with these last couple of weeks. It's just been such a beautiful offering. Yeah. Yeah. Really enjoyable chats for me. I'm learning so much. My eyes are open to so many amazing new things. I think at the end of this next episode, I yelled (laughs) because I have so much homework to do because there's so many new things now that I want to learn about and do research on. Yeah, this was a good one. This was very interesting, very enlightening. Yes. I feel like right now I'm giving people a real peek into what I've been up to as far as tending to my grief and like all of the grief that I have because many of the practitioners that we've invited on are friends of mine and they are people who have these really beautiful offerings of of things. And this one in particular is one of my favorites. Um, It's about somatic bodywork and sexological bodywork and erotic blueprints and so tending to my sexual health tending to all of the things that have come up during this grief adventure that I've been on for so many years my whole life you know the tending the tending of the garden the tending of the temple the tending all of this tending is what I've been doing. I don't think people really realize the amount of energy that I put into all these healing aspects. Yeah. Yeah, really. You've definitely done the work in pursuing all of the avenues that, um, that fit with you. Yeah. And, and you've also been, I think, smart, wise, I should say. You have been wise to to talk to all of us about finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. It is different for everybody. We do have that in, in this in this upcoming conversation that there's a million paths. There's Find so one that works paths. for you. But man, this is really one that I think is, it's been overlooked by me mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and probably because of the stigma, again, around sex yeah. and especially any sort really of intimacy when you feel like shit Mm -hmm. it needs work and that's 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 what you gotta tend to and and a lot of times sweeping shit under the rug and part of that is societal conditioning the other part of that is us doing it to ourselves after we've learned it so like we know that this stuff needs tending we know it does and we you know many of us many 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 of us suffer in the sense that like we can't say anything because we don't want to disrupt what you know is going on in our homes and we want to keep the peace and we Mm -hmm. want to you know or we're just plain too fucking tired to address it and, and you end up being the last person on your own fucking list on your own list so you're the last person on everybody else's list and then you're the last person on your own list absolutely which is why it can be so helpful to call in the aid of your community including people like jenny gal 
absolutely call in that village. I met Jenny Gal here in Santa Fe um, some years ago and we hit it off immediately. And um, I just was like, Gal, you're like one of the most beautiful people. And I was instantly attracted to her. Yeah. And in a way of like, I, I work, this is, yep. <laughs> this is us yeah this is us and then you know our paths went different ways and like different things have happened and again another reuniting one of the most beautiful reuniting and and it was like we never parted ways right and so you know I enjoy those types of friendships where we don't have to be locked in forever and and, and if you don't talk to me you don't love me right um Kind, kinds of deals and so I, it's such a pleasure <laughs> that's our keyword here folks yeah <laughs> we should do a uh, contest how many times do we say pleasure when <laughs> you win a sticker <laughs> just just in this whole in this one episode or because in this one episode <laughs> in this one lifetime in our one lifetime so when you know, I die, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give you that tally of play and pleasure and you know that's part of the adventures of grief girl is encouraging people to really just play and figure out what works for them and i'm not here to tell you what works for you i'm here to show you what's in my bag mm-hmm. and maybe you could find something that in my bag that works for you yeah here's you know? another one right and if not then let's go on a little adventure to figure that out together right. you know yeah so it is our pleasure. <laughs> yes, indeed. It is our pleasure to have Jenny Gal with us today. Hooray. Hooray. This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen with... Your own motherfucking discretion. <laughs> <laughs> Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. Welcome, everybody, and welcome, Jenny. Thanks for being here and sharing what you do. Yes. So first of all, tell us what titles you have, and Mm -hmm. then maybe we'll reach in the grab bag and, and decide we want to talk about, you know, whatever you tell us. Okay. So, well, first of all, I'll say... Jenny Gallucci is my name. I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I go by gal. A lot of the coaches in my community, coaches, colleagues, friends, and clients call me gal. Um, So yeah, I go by Jenny or Jenny gal. So just to clarify that, because there's going to be people who definitely listen to this and they're going to say, but wait, who's Jenny? Wait, huh? What? So, So there's some clarity with that. I, in my undergrad, I studied cultural anthropology and became really curious, began studying community and culture and diversity around the globe through the lens of just this real curiosity of like, what's really missing? Like what's missing in our medical model? What's missing in terms of like human consciousness, like how can we expand and evolve? And what was really crystal clear for me as a woman and as a mother was that conscious postpartum care was non-existent. 
women healing after the birth of a baby and reconciling sexuality and motherhood. Like there's no bridge. There was not a bridge that exists in that. And so I have been dedicated for the last two decades in resourcing myself and educating myself on on how to reclaim sacred sexuality and motherhood and how to really support women healing and thriving in postpartum care. And so I've married that skill set together. I'm an Ayurvedic postpartum doula and an erotic blueprint coach, as well as a sexological body worker. The demographic that I primarily serve is women postpartum, mothers, but you know, lots of those women postpartum are coupled and many of them in heterosexual, you know, traditional relationships. So just getting really curious about couple dynamics and coaching, doing sex and intimacy coaching with couples. Yeah. So I work with singles. I work with couples. I work with mamas. Okay. So question, I have so many questions. (laughs) Let's start here. As someone who does not have kids, where does the disconnect begin between postpartum mothers and the connection with their partner relating to sex and intimacy? Like what, what is that, what does that disconnect look like? I'm sure it's, it differs a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to differ from person to person. It's going to differ from each dynamic um, and what the individual is coming into the picture with, into that chapter of of her life or their life with. And, you know, we have to, we have to really consider that oftentimes when we think about like a, uh, a violation, like a physical violation to the body or a, you know, an an assault, um, we, we, our minds can go to like the most extreme place with that. But really, a trauma, in a sexual trauma to the body can simply be an unpleasant pap smear. Hmm. And so in pregnancy, imagine that you're constantly, constantly going in and you're being checked. And your nervous system and your body does not really know how to differentiate what is safe touch, what is not. There's a power differential in the room. Um, hmm you know, between the practitioner and the patient. And so I really love to capture um, and begin working with my clients in pregnancy to say, like, do you, do you know, do you understand that your body may be going into a freeze response, supporting them and claiming agency of their body, cultivating a voice so that they can say, wait, hold on a minute. I, I, I need to take a couple of breaths before you insert that device inside of me or, you know, just crafting a safe container for them for full body agency to navigate through the whole experiences. One way that I work with my clients. Yeah. Right. That's really interesting. That's this podcast is so full and season two, especially it's so full of things that I never even thought of so full of things that I never considered and really breaking some stigmas, which I think we're about to do today, which I am excited about again. And still grief after dark, keeping it real and dark and good. (laughs) This is what we do here. Um, 
because I am partner and I am somebody's mom, I can, you know, really support what you, everything that you just said. And, and that was really what was lacking for me. And I do think that we need more, so much more support around those who birth children. And so, you know, the body, it's a, it's a really traumatic experience, even though it's supposed to be one of the most beautiful experiences. It is hella traumatic. We are all very much encouraged to just don't think about the traumatic part of it and just enjoy your baby. Shouldn't you just be enjoying your baby? But like you, you can't even get back into your body. So we're missing those ceremonies, the womb ceremonies, the bone closing ceremonies, things that we would were doing naturally before our current situation, <laughs> you know, before our current, our current model of civilization, we were really taking care of that. And it was, it was probably, you know, one of the most beautiful experiences ever, but we're not even <clears throat> preparing our young girls for their periods. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not, we're not preparing them for that. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's common, but also you get it. And then, you know, we're scrambling on the job training, whereas we could start this really young because the hormones are there. They're there. Like everything's we're equipped with this when we come out of the world. So, you know, it's happening in our bodies and we, we don't put a name to that for our babies. We don't, we just don't. And I don't know why that is or why it's such a taboo subject when it's like a part of our lives that's not really going to go away. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've been saying for years that we suffer for those lacks, like the lack of rites of passage. Mm -hmm. in our culture, at least that, mm -hmm. that we don't have that. We certainly don't have that for young boys and girls that are moving into themselves. You know, your body is changing. Your hormones are insane it, with no guidance. Of course, nobody knows what to do with that. And, and parents aren't open. And I know I started saying right before I hit record that, I, I mean, the stigma on mothers and the expectations of what you're supposed to be now as this weird, and it's still got this kind of archaic, like fifties perfection feel around a lot of it. You can't make the right choices, but even without kids, it's not like women are encouraged to be beautiful and sexy and erotic and also healthy and balanced and grounded. And, you know, I, it's it, like, there's still this weird dividing line. So how do you work with women to break through that barrier of what we inherently feel we are versus what we are sort of like what's inflicted on us and what we're expected to be? Mm -hmm. So one of the books that um, I've been asked to write, I was, you know, I was actually interviewing um, on another podcast with a licensing institute that uh, certifies and licenses professional birth workers, uh, of which I am creating a sexual health assessment guide and a, and a curriculum and a continuing education for professional birth workers to actually learn how to craft a safe container and how to engage their clients with this area of health that even professional birth workers don't have the tools in their toolbox to really engage their clients with, hey, tell me about your sexual health. Mm 
Tell me about your relationship dynamic. Tell me if penetrative sex is, you know, um, is painful as a result of having the baby. Let's talk about scar tissue, you know, all of those things. So um, I said on this podcast back in September, like, I want to write two books. And one is what to not expect of me. (laughs) (laughs) There's like that trilogy of like, what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect. And I'm like, how about we write a new book about what not to expect of me, period. Let's let that be the title. And, um, And so, again, it's a way of really empowering my clients to, to shift the narrative or dissolve a narrative that's really anchored in social conditioning. And shame and say like, whoa, whoa, wait, let's go to your own body's wisdom to explore how you can best serve yourself and come from a full place, the full body agency. No one has ever said that to me in my life. How can you best serve yourself? That's the question, y'all. You got homework. (laughs) that's where I find that I feel like nobody really even cares. So getting up the nerve or the courage to even dissolve that for myself, like that's, that's a lot of work. And because the reinforcement is, is whatever you need doesn't really matter that much Mm -hmm. because we're never going to ask. And then when you say something, whoa, whoa, you're talking too loud. Don't talk about that out here that's too much. You're leaning over to the hooker area of things. Listen, you know, this is normal. This is how I got these babies. I was dropping it like it was hot. Y'all know this. Come on. Some ass cheeks was clapping. This is what we was doing. Why can't we talk about this? (laughs) You know, why can't we talk about yet? Sex has become uncomfortable after having a baby or even just in general, you didn't even have to have had a baby for sex to be uncomfortable for you, you know, and it's discovering like what your body actually likes, which brings me to the erotic blueprints and how that has really served me and how I've really had to stand my own ground, even in my own household about why I'm doing this work. And I've had to like really sit in my womanhood and let my partner figure out what his feelings are about it. Mm-hmm. on his own like I'm not helping anymore because I offered these things but his work is not my work to do I have to let him do his own work here's the tools if you want to use them use them great if you hey otherwise I'm out I'm doing what I'm doing for me yeah and you talked about what you learned from the erotic blueprint and I definitely definitely want to hear more about that <laughs> but I'm curious because D you also were like where where did this come from as as a cultural anthropologist, do you have an answer for that? Like, do you have some sort of, can you see the roadmap that got us to where we are? What got us to this place of sex being such a taboo subject and that women are either mothers or sex workers and there's somehow no healthy in between? Yeah, it's incredible, right? I mean, historically, if we looked at um, like the sacred slut archetype or sacred prostitution is the oldest profession on the planet. 
And we can, we can really spiral into that conversation, which again, could be a three hour conversation. Mm -hmm. But let's just give it presence that this is the oldest profession on the planet. And I think that there's a common myth that women who have historically been sex workers, that all of them met that fate against their will. Mm-hmm. And that is a myth that needs to be completely squashed. Yeah. There are so many extraordinary humans in my communities that are doing, have, that's their medicine. And they are bringing and sharing sacred sexuality with the world from a place of empowerment and embodiment. And I'm in awe of it. It's an elixir for the world. Um, how we got here and how this divide happened is really through the lens of the patriarchal, you know, world that we live in. Women have really been disempowered. I mean, in, in every capacity, including from the most powerful thing in the world, which is pussy power, period. <laughs> you know, so. Amen. <laughs> well, and then, you know, if you think about the one resource that is available to us, it is through the lens of pornography. That mm-hmm. is what educates the masses about sexuality. And the way that the pornography industry has, has developed and choreographed their sex scenes and their videos have all been with the male's pleasure at the forefront of the experience. And so it's, it's false. However, there's a whole movement. You can type in, you can Google like women's um, favorite porn sites. And there's very conscious porn where the actors, actresses, actors are, um, are paid really well were women's pleasures at the forefront. Women directors. Women directors. Women production team. Erica Last is a good one. Um, um, yeah. I mean. Sparsa Films, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. They, I've seen a couple and I'm like, yeah, let's see. This is better. This makes more sense. This is pleasurable for me to watch and it doesn't give me the sense that I've got to be who or what she is but I get to enjoy who and what he is Hmm. or or whomever whomever they're working with you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily just the the cis hetero relationship wise I like a lot of things I like to watch a lot of things now and this is a thing that I've discovered about myself is that I really do enjoy a really well curated sex scene mm-hmm. you know if they can evoke in me what they're trying to portray then that be even better you know even better for my own sex life like maybe i'm gonna want to try some things hey and i'll be more vocal about hey can we try this did you see this i would love to share this with you without getting the feeling that it's going to get rejected Yeah, and in the blueprints, there's five blueprints, which they are the energetic, the sensual, the sexual, the kink. The kink has two branches, which is sensate kink and psychological kink, and then the shapeshifter. And 
on the topic of pornography and what you're speaking to, Dee, is that, you know, again, like the sexual blueprint is going to have the characteristics and the essences of what we are conditioned to understand and believe sex is. Joseph Kramer, who created the sexological bodywork certification and licensure. So I'm a sexological body worker, as I mentioned as well. Something that's really common that I've seen in my practice is um, women and men. um, And I know this is very gendered language, but in my particular um, history, the demographic that I've served have identified either as feminine or masculine, female or male. And there is so much deep-rooted shame about porn watching yeah. um, and porn addiction. And so through the lens of sexological body work, we as practitioners show up and offer somatic exercises around that, which we call like conscious porn watching. So one of the exercises would be to actually choose a video that that you know you're going to enjoy, that you really like. And instead of lying down and just letting the stimulation come at you in a way that you're just being fed and you're disembodied as you're engaging with it, that you're actually standing up, you're on your feet, you're feeling your own body, you um, like literally filling your entire body responsible for your balance, responsible for your breath. And you're bringing in all of these different somatic practices as you're receiving the stimulation and information. And I mean, and then we can expand from there, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful way. Once again, instead of really holding a space that is just saturated in shame, just saying, Oh, I get it. Yeah, you you naturally have a curiosity about sexuality. This is what was accessible and available. So let's, let's engage with it a different way. And then let's transmute it. And then let's just keep building upon it and see what what happens next, you know? Yeah, I've never heard of sexological body work before. Yeah, sexological body work was developed here in, it was in Oakland, California, that um, Joseph Kramer was living. And he, um, really fascinating story, but in a nutshell, what I'll say is that this was at the height of like the AIDS epidemic. So it must have been like early 80s, mid 80s or so. And Joseph and a team of massage therapists and other alternative therapists began creating um, safe spaces that could really resource gay men and their partners, their loved ones who were walking kind of their final days with a lot of these um, men who had passed away due to the AIDS epidemic. And there was a lot, there was a healthy, a very, very healthy and safe space to explore sexuality and expression. And those, that's kind of like the foundation and origins of where sexological body work first started and Mm -hmm. then has just really expanded over the last few decades into something so much more. And what does it look like now? What does it look like now? Well, pillars of embodiment being um, 
breath, movement, sound, presence, awareness. A typical sexological bodywork session is going to be, you know, an, a brief intake like what's really alive for you right now? What's what's happening? A lot of people have no idea how to even articulate what what they're needing or desiring to work through. But it's really fascinating that during like an intake, like tell me what's going on the last few days, what's going on in your week? What was your lifestyle during the pandemic the last couple of years? Tell me like what's up with you. And through the intake, essentially you co-create what the somatic session is going to be. And it's like a biohack. You're sidestepping the mental realm and going straight into the body's wisdom Mm -hmm. by implementing these different embodiment practices with a specific learning objective that the client says, oh, yeah, I think this could be valuable to explore. And what we always say in sexological body work is that our most ideal client is someone who, who's just curious and has a willingness to kind of go into something that, that may feel really vulnerable for them, you know? Yeah. Because the body doesn't lie. <laughs> yeah, the body doesn't lie. Yeah, the more I've been able to pay attention to that, the better off I've been, the better able I've been to say, you know what, I'm actually just tired. I'm going to go ahead and lay down or this is what I need right now. I need to either take care of myself or I need that outside stimulation. Um, It's been a it's been a real wild ride, (laughs) an adventure, if you will. I think most of us have never learned that the only way you can reach high states of arousal is if you feel safe. And so if in sexological body work, it's, it's nervous system education. Everything that I do is like, how can we get your body to downregulate? And Hey, guess what? One of one way is anal massage, anal mapping, working with that sphincter, working with that direct connection in your central nervous system in that in that line. It's a very clinical application. A lot of people are like absolutely anything and everything that I can do to down regulate and know what that feels like in my body. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Like we're a, you know, a whole society with an epidemic of stress, in my opinion, everyone needs anal mapping. And it doesn't need to be, you know, for the purpose of sexual arousal, but for the purpose of complete relaxation so that you can even have that in your, in your capacity. People who would come to you for sexological body work, it could be I don't know. I have a curiosity, Mickey, about like, what might you lean into? Like with this, like, huh, I don't know that job title, this area, what, what do you think you might find curious about the, about a session? Uh, Well, body worker makes me think of, of energy work. That makes me think of like, Reiki and Qigong and energy work and things like this. 
I mean, with the, with sexological before it, that sort of makes me think of connecting energy to the body and sensation. That's where my brain would go with just with the title. Um, yeah. So that's, that was what I'm so curious as to like what a session would look like. I have so much homework. (laughs) I have so much research to do. This is awesome. This is so many things that I don't know about, but, um, since the clock's a ticking and I want to be conscious of that, tell us about the blueprints. Yeah, sure. So Jaya, who created the Blueprints, was actually on faculty for two decades um, as a sexological body worker. And so Jaya comes from this lineage of all, you know, of Tantra philosophy and, and sexological body work and, and the pioneers who are really standing on the front lines of, you know, human sexuality all around the globe. And she just began extracting, like, oh, this principle and this, and, like, came up with this idea of what she entitled the erotic blueprints, which are typically, I want to say they're roadmaps. This is, again, based, like, nervous system somatic-based coaching that supports individuals in understanding like, oh, there's actually maybe nothing wrong with me. This is just my, like, what I need to feel safe, what I need in my ambience, in my space, um, how I might need to be approached or not. Um, so this is, this is an internal roadmap. Basically, oftentimes it's it's compared to the love languages just because, you know, those are like layman terms. A lot of people know what that model is. Um, If you're familiar with Ayurvedic medicine, there's constitutions that everyone's typically, you know, dominant in Vata, Pitta, Kapha. So in the blueprints, again, being energetic, energetic is uh, the blueprint that so each of the blueprints have characteristics and essences superpowers and shadows that go along with them and um you were just taking the quiz right right before we we jumped on the call that would be the very very first step that you would take just on a, so in the mental realm, you have some idea of like, huh, okay, this is, I'm, you know, essential, interesting. Um, Which I am. You are. I got my results. (laughs) How about that, Dee? This is why we get along so well, I think. Uh (laughs) Even in this space, like, and this is what's cool about the blueprint is that it's, not inherently sexual, honestly, because you can apply it to so many things. And, and it's like, I've been enlightened about so many people um, by this. And I'm better able to like really talk to them and like, Hey, you know what? Let me, you know, if I, if I need a thing, I can talk to them in the way that they're going to hear me instead of them having to be in this place where they're trying to figure out if they're safe or not, or, 
you know, they can really just hone in and answer the question. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I love that you're speaking to this because not only does it really support you being in your own body's agency and safety, but you and, and self-validation, but then you also know, you know how to respect other people's boundaries and validate them and keep them safe. There's a structure for that. And probably the most powerful thing about the blueprints is that oftentimes in couple dynamics, we can create the narrative that we're not compatible. We're not compatible. And when you start learning like, oh, well, I'm essential and essential for that, you know, it means X, Y, Z. And I'm also in this stage, perhaps, because there's stages as well that are associated with the blueprints. Mm -hmm. And my partner, he's this blueprint and he's in this stage. Okay, great. Now we have a language, the bounty of tools that we can then begin to craft our agreements and our safety and our pleasure all in this mixed bag. Mm. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing static about our eroticism either. So again, like, you know, Mickey, you're essential. You just got your, your results. And the stages are rest, healing, curious, adventure, and transformation. And we could, you know, definitely need to have a conversation and explore what each of the um, those stages are you in a month next week this afternoon it could shift a little bit Mm -hmm. so it's about like knowing this body of work so well that you can go okay that's what's going on with me maybe it's like my hormones shift a little bit okay how can I honor that and how can I be really creative about you know, engaging romantically or sexually with this information that I have. All of it's just information. We get to dissolve shame and all of these little nasty narratives about ourselves and our partners and our lovers. If we have multiple lovers, it's just the best. Oh my gosh. Really empowering info. I'm super excited about this. (laughs) This is really cool. It just... It's an angle, again, that I never thought of, but that to come at health and healing and balance from this angle suddenly seems hugely important and totally overlooked by a lot of people. I mean, everybody, I think, can agree that this is usually the first topic that gets swept under the rug. Well, I feel that has to do with control. Like you can't control somebody if they are fully in themselves, if they're fully in their body and they know what they like and they can rebuttal and say, hey, you know what? I don't think I like that. And I want you to reroute. And it's harder to get that conditioning to be upheld when you you come up against a person who's like, you know, I really just said, I don't actually like hugs or I don't like to be touched. Can we have a handshake? Can we have, you know, a fist bump or whatever. And then, you know, um, what we're running into now with folks wearing masks and needing to be isolated and all of these things for some people that has been magical Mm -hmm. because they're not under the pressure of, Oh my God, I have to interact in this way or other people are going to think that I'm crazy or they're going to think that I'm just being 
rude or standoffish or, you know, that that's one of the things it's like, I don't make my kids hug anybody anymore. You know, like I was made to hug when I was little and there was no thought given to like, am I safe? Am I comfortable with this? Do I like this person? Even if they were related to me. Right. Nobody asked me that. Nobody gave me that room to say, so I can give that room to my children. I can give them the room to say, Hey, I don't like this kind of, I don't like you touching me like that. Or I don't like you touching my hair like that. I can let them decide how they want to be interacted with. And then I can honor that for, for them. Again, this is how important this work is for us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how we change the world. Yeah. Like that. Yep. Just imagine, just imagine if every single child on this planet were encouraged to listen to their felt sense of yes or no and claim full agency of their own little bodies. Yes. You know, the majority of us, the majority of us have all been conditioned out of that knowing. So the real power with all of this work, which is all somatic-based therapy, is reattuning people, our clients, to their own body's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Sure, like I know the structure. I've got lots of tools and I can lead you through lots of different exercises, but essentially our job as as the coach and the practitioner is to just create the safe space for you to have a really intimate conversation with yourself. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's in good alignment with the podcast, I'd say. <laughs> it's like our life's mission. Yeah. Is to get people back to themselves, really. I mean, we have a focus on grief. No one's getting out of that one easy, and no one's getting out of life without grief. This is something that everybody experiences whether you've got the pinpoint on it or not, whether you're facing it or not, it's affecting you. If you're dealing with it or not, it's affecting your life. The more we can get together with people like you who have pathways to healing, because not everybody responds the same way to healing. There's a million ways to health. There's, there's a billion paths the more people we can get talking about the different options and the different paths, the more likely it is for more people to find the path that's right for them. And that's why Dee and I get together and drink and talk (laughs) (laughs) and invite nice folks like you to come join the party. Oh my gosh. uh, Yeah. Gosh, I just, I, so you taught me so much today and sparked a lot of fires and now I'm super curious about a million new things. So thank you for that. And your time and your work, which is clearly extensive and important. Oh, you're welcome. So appreciated. Do you have questions, Dee, for rapid fire, not rapid oh, yeah. fire? I actually do. Um, my first question is, who is your favorite poet? For the longest time, Pablo Neruda. Yeah. I seriously was just about to say, I have a toss up, but, but I mean, William Shakespeare will always be my favorite. But Pablo Neruda was next on the list because I just love the sensualness of the way Pablo writes. And Mary Oliver. Oh, yes. If Mm. you like, you know, for those who are like, what on earth is somatic? Like, Mm -hmm. what is that? 
read her poetry. She yeah. is living her life through in an in a somatic way. She, her life is a somatic practice and exercise, and that's mm-hmm. what's revealed in her writing. So, oh my gosh, Ooh, I love that. Now I'm going to go reread Mary Oliver. I don't I don't recognize either of those names. So, who's your favorite? Um, Robert Frost. Hey, hey. He paints a pretty picture with words. Doesn't he though? Yeah. What is your favorite right now or go-to pleasure practice? I like this. I like this so much because this is going to give you an idea of an expanded idea of pleasure, right? Um, I love adding ritual to my day. And so a pleasure practice for me has been, and you, Mickey, since you're a, um, a sensual, could appreciate this because this is what essential needs is more ritual and to like aliven the senses in the body. So I love to nourish myself with like, if I'm taking a bath, I'm like, what can make this better? You always want to ask that question. What can make this better? And so... I'm like, I'm going to feed myself some really delicious, something really delicious, and I'm going to like savor it. I'm going to eat it really slow. I'm going to like let the chocolate melt in my mouth. I'm going to like anoint myself with oils. I I love the alchemy of um of expanding that question, what could bring what could make this better? And again, because our eroticism isn't static, it's going to change all the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm on uh, board. <laughs> I, too, am on board. And then I started doing um, the Yoni steams. Yeah. Smoking a joint and just yes. sitting there, having a little rum or something. That's been, you know, high on the list of things for me to do, to treat myself to. It's not for anybody else. It's not with anybody else. I don't have to, you know, make sure anybody else is taking care of, but me sometimes I'll just, you know, do a FaceTime. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know, minding my business. Unless I share the information, which, you know, Jimmy, you're somebody I would share this with, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, we would have a phone date and we're steaming. <laughs> Um, what is your favorite body part on your own body? On my own body, my favorite body part is my back. Mm-hmm. You do have a lovely back. Sexy back. You do. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, um, you worked on it. You've touched it. I did. Uh, I, my, right now, my favorite body part is my butt. Like it's feeling real juicy back there. And I'm enjoying it. And I'm taking lots of lovely photographs of it. And of course, I do my my uh, my dance prayers, you know, where I have to do the gyrating. And it's just the most beautiful freaking thing. And standing in front of the mirror and, and like giving it a good go is medicine, folks. It's a prayer. It's I say this so often. I say it so often because that's when I feel the most connected to everything. That's when I can hear everything. It's when, you know, I'm in my body. That's really liberating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was torn between my back and my butt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, 
so I'm going to say the backside of my torso. Can I just include all the things? Not backside. I, I'm about halfway into color on a full back tattoo right now. So my back is absolutely like my favorite thing right now because it's really beautiful and it's really cool. And it's, it is one of the most generous things I've ever done for myself. Oh, beautiful. That's exactly how we create a whole new neural pathway mm. to pleasure. And even that was the most one of the most generous things I've ever done. I've ever done for myself, and I love it, and it's beautiful. Yes. And then maybe you create a whole pleasure practice around like seducing yourself in the mirror and just like adoring the work and mm-hmm. touching, pressing your back. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this has been so delicious. I'm so excited. We have come to the end and I would love for you to share with us where we can find you and how folks can get access to the Erotic Blueprints course. I know you're coming up with um, now an offering soon. Yeah, well, first I'll say that, you know, again, the my friend and mentor who created the Blueprints, Jaya, had really discouraged um, her coaches from getting a website and mm-hmm. like putting any time and energy into that. She's like, just get on the court, just go to work, like go serve. Don't worry about any of that kind of thing. So I had been in real resistance. So I still don't have a website. I can be found on social media, um, Jenny Gal official on Instagram. And then I think Jenny G Gal on, on, um, on Facebook. But yeah, DMs, emails, social media, friend request, those are all that's that's kind of I'm really leveraging social media and that's probably the best way to reach me. Um the first week in April I'm launching a group coaching program for the Erotic Blueprints. The Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough course is a total of eight modules. And so I will be leading a group through weekly calls, like live Q&A and um, like hot seat, love seat coaching on the spot, um, looking at every Wednesday morning at 11 11, 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, And then for my weekend warriors who have kind of a traditional nine to five schedule during the week, I'll offer something on Saturday afternoon. Um, and so, yeah, that's the erotic blueprint breakthrough course for eight weeks through the eight modules for 888, which is totally unheard of. It's a steal. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) Beautiful. Make sure you get us a link. If you do, if you put a, you know, so that they can sign up at, and we'll put that on our website and make sure that people can find that for you. Uh, or find you there because I can't say enough good things about this course. I can't say enough good things about Jenny Gal. I can't express how important it is to tend to this part of your life. On that note, thank you so much for being in our village. Gal. Thank you. Yes. Cheers. cheers. Here's to getting some. It's my pleasure. Your homework gets you some pleasure. Mm.